No, no worries. All right. Uh, if you have a Bible, go to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20. So my last chance to be with you guys. Um, <clears throat> what we're going to talk about now is what I think is often a uh, neglected spiritual discipline. The, the ones that get the main press are reading the Bible, praying, that, that kind of thing. But, but I want to talk about worship, okay? Because if somebody were to ask me, obviously there's thousands of answers to this question, but if I want to grow in my relationship with Christ, what are the main things I need to do, grow in, you know, to, do to grow in my relationship with Christ? I would say these three. I would say if you're reading your Bible, you're praying, and you are actively involved in corporate worship, then most of the time you'll be growing in your relationship with Christ. Um, and, and for some reason, since we, we often think of spiritual disciplines as a, a personal thing that you do in private, corporate worship is often not mentioned. But I think it's one of the most important things uh, that we do. We live in a culture, we live in a, a period of time where not just in America has church attendance and, and being part of corporate worship kind of fallen on hard times. We live in a church culture that often sees corporate worship as secondary and as not real important. And you've had, even in the last year, you've had authors of Christian books that sell millions and millions of copies who've come out and said, I don't go to church anymore. That's not where I feel close to God. That's not how I grow my relationship with the Lord. And so we live in this individualized culture that now sees corporate worship as kind of a, an optional. If it helps me in my personal relationship with Jesus, then I'll do it. If it doesn't help me in my personal relationship with Jesus, I'm not going to do it. And so now, um, there's a story I was told, I was told growing up, uh, my dad, his, his dad was a deacon in Baptist church. And so they, you know, he had no choice. He was, he was drugged to church every Sunday with his, with his, uh, brother and sister. And he said every day, every time they would drive to church, they would drive by a softball field on Sunday morning and there'd be people playing softball. And his dad would get really mad and he goes, look at those pagans out there drinking beer and playing softball on, on Sunday morning. They should be in church. And my dad's brother leaned over to him and said, I want to be a pagan when I grow up. And, uh, and uh, he was like, yeah, me, me too, because I get to play softball on Sunday morning rather than, than going to church. But the truth is a lot of people are taking that option on Sunday morning. In the Southern Baptist Convention, which I, I, I guess your church is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, so we've had, a, in the last year, 100,000 people de decline in terms of church attendance. So 100,000 people we lost uh, in church attendance in the Southern Baptist Convention this year over last year, okay? Uh, you can add to that. There's, I, think, I think the statistics tell us about 2.67 million people in America become inactive in church every year. So church attendance, corporate worship attendance is, is on a massive decline. There's, there's many complex reasons for that. But at the root of it, okay, the root of it is we just don't see corporate worship as important as we used to. Because the truth is, and we all know this, we make time for the things that are important to us. And so if we think that corporate worship is important, we will make time for it. And if we see corporate worship as optional, we will not make time for it. And so I want to I look at this question of why should we gather for worship and what should we do as we gather for worship. 
And I want to I do that from 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 1. I think the verse will be on the screen. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it, and I'm just going to kind of um, just explain a little bit as we go, okay? Uh, and then we'll come back and answer these questions from this, from this text, okay? So uh, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Okay, so there's this coalition of armies that have come up against uh, Jehoshaphat. He's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah at the time. He's the king. He's the son of David in Jerusalem. Okay, so this coalition of, of armies comes up against him, a vast army. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. So they've already gotten close. That's what, that's what they're telling him. Verse 3, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Okay, so army's here. It's close. We're scared to death. What are we going to do? Let's have a worship service. And so he gathers all the people from the southern kingdom they all come to Jerusalem. They're assembling for this worship, corporate worship gathering. Part of that is they're fasting, okay? And then part of it is they're praying. They're seeking help from the Lord, okay? So this, this corporate worship service starts to take place. So verse 5, and it tells us what happens. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord, that's the temple, before the new court and said, so he's starting to pray, O Lord God, of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? So, so recognizing his transcendence, right? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Okay, so this is like we talked about uh, this morning, starting with adoration, starting with praise uh, to the Lord. Um, verse 7. Did you not, our God, Drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. Okay, so now he's, he's praising God for, for God's saving acts in the past, okay? He's, he's referencing the conquest, okay? So he is, he is reminding the people in prayer and he is reminding God uh, of what God has done in the past to save them. So this goes back to when I talk about adoration. You, you, you give adoration to God for who he is, you are God in heaven, and for what he's done, you saved us in the past, and you gave us this land as a gift, okay? So that's what he's, he's doing in this prayer. He's reminding them of the past saving acts of God. And he's reminding God of that as well. Verse 8, and they have lived in it and have built you for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. Okay, this is a reference back to when Solomon built the temple, 1 Kings 8, when they dedicate the temple. Okay, so all the construction work is done. They have a worship service like you would do in any, you know, build a church building and you, you have a dedication service. They have a dedication service. And when Solomon prays in that dedication service, he says, this is what this house is going to be. In the future, if there's a famine and we have no crops, we're going to come here. We're going to ask you to provide and you're going to send rain from heaven. And if, if we have an army that defeats us and we can't defeat them, we're going to come here and we're going to cry out to you and you're going to rescue us. And when we get taken into exile because of our sin, we're going to look towards this temple and we're going to pray and you're going to bring us back to the land. Okay, so that's, so he's, he's doing what Solomon told the people to do. You're in a jam, so you come to the house, 
and you asked the Lord for help. And so he says, you, you told us to do this, and you're going to save us. All right, now verse 10 gets to the present. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out from the land of Egypt. So when they are in the wilderness, God makes them go around those nations. He doesn't let them fight against those nations because they are descendants of Lot. Okay, so he doesn't let them fight those nations. So he said, you didn't let us touch them when we came out of Egypt. Okay, now middle, middle of verse 10. Uh, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Okay, so this is the, when I talked about last night. Where do you see judgment in the text? Where do you see salvation? He's already asked God to save them. Now he says, God, you judge, you judge them. Why? Because we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Okay, so this is a recognition of their dependence uh, and their helplessness without God. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. Okay, so now the preacher is going to come out. And he's, going to, he's going to speak the word of God to them. Verse 15. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Okay, so the word from God is, I'm going to save you. All right, verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So now they're singing. Okay, so fasting, praying, singing the word, all of this has gone on. And then verse 20. Look at this. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, so he appoints a choir that he puts out in front of the army. And as the army is going forward, this choir is singing this psalm to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 22, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Okay, remarkable story, right? So God saves his people and judges their enemies by means of a worship service, all right? So let me ask this question in response to the story that we just got. Why should we worship? Let me give you four reasons. We should want to gather for worship because, number one, it reminds us that God has saved us in the past, 
It reminds us that God has saved us in the past. Jehoshaphat calls the people's attention back to the past. Your God has saved you. Okay? Now, what this does in worship is it produces gratitude to God for what he has done. It produces uh, optimism. Number one is it reminds us that God has saved us in the past. And some of you look like you're trying to write that down. So it reminds us that God has saved us in the past. That produces gratitude as you look back to God and you're grateful for your salvation. That also produces optimism at whatever you're facing in the present. God has saved you in the past. He has, he has brought you from death into life. Therefore, whatever you're facing in the present, not a big deal. Okay? And also, the Bible tells us that it's being reminded of our past salvation that produces holiness. Okay? So you have in 2 Peter, verse, uh, in chapter 1, Peter says to the people, if you're not growing in Christian maturity, the reason why, he says, is because you have forgotten that you have been cleansed of your former sins. You've forgotten your past salvation. And that's why you're not growing in holiness. So we need to worship, to gather worship, so we can be reminded of what God has done to save us in the past. Second, we should gather for worship because it gives us a chance to ask God to save us in the present, okay? So this is an opportunity for, and, and 1 Corinthians makes this clear that when the people of God gather for worship, there are going to be unbelievers there. Uh, and if you are worshiping the Lord rightly, uh, and, and, and God is with you, then the, the unbeliever is going to sense that, that God is here and God is among you, okay? And it's going to be an opportunity for them to come to salvation. Also, there's an opportunity for you uh, as you come to gather, to, to gather for worship to reconcile uh, with brothers that you have wronged, right? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have, if, you know, brother has something against you, don't bring your offering, go to him immediately and reconcile. So that there's a salvation uh, in that. And it also gives us a chance to, to gather elders, to anoint head with oil, pray over for healing. Okay, so this is, you, you gather for worship because it gives us a chance to ask God to save us in the present. And that's what, he, that's what they're doing here. Lord, please help us, please judge them. Okay, number three, we gather for worship because it encourages us that God will save us in the future. Okay, so they're looking forward to uh, the future and saying, God, help us out of this uh, here in the future. So, as we gather in a world that's full of sickness and death and tragedy and war, we need to be constantly reminded it's not always going to be like this. There is coming a day when God is going to set things right. And then finally, why do we gather for worship? We should want to gather for worship because it allows us to participate in the cosmic war against evil. It allows us to participate in the cosmic war against evil. This is uh, this passage and other passages in the Bible show us that worship is warfare. Now, it's not, in our context, it's not warfare against a physical enemy. It's against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But it's, it is, when we gather in this room, when we sing praises to King Jesus, when he's enthroned on our praises, that makes the enemies of God tremble. Okay? And so we get to participate in the cosmic war against evil. Think about this. Throughout, throughout the Bible, God often uses worship services to defeat his enemies, okay? So it's the priests who play the trumpets at the Battle of Jericho that causes the walls to come down. It's the choir that sings here that causes Moab and Ammon to be defeated. In the book of Revelation, you can go read it. It's the saints singing in heaven that causes God to pour out his judgment on the earth, okay, and to defeat Satan and the great harlot and the Antichrist, the beast. And so what could be more important than gathering together to worship King Jesus and having the enemies of God shudder 
as we worship. Okay, so we, we should want to gather for worship. Now, it's quite clear that we should worship, and hopefully understanding why we should worship will help motivate you to worship. But now I want to ask the, the, the mechanical question, how? How do we do it? Like, what, what, is this, what does this look like? How should we worship? And so again, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we often focus on the private disciplines like Bible reading and prayer, and we ne- neglect often the public disciplines of corporate worship. Um, so yes, you should read the Bible in private. Yes, you should worship in private. Yes, you should pray in private. But you should also do those things corporately. Okay, Hebrews 10.25 commands the gathering of believers for worship. You know, do not forsake the assembly. And it warns those who are walking away from the church. It warns those who do neglect the assembly. And basically what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10 is, if you walk away from the church, you're walking away from Jesus and you should have no clear assurance that you're actually saved. That's what he says in Hebrews 10. He says, you should tremble. You're about to fall into the hands of the judging God, okay? So we need to gather for worship. There's a warning for those who do not gather for worship. And you won't become like Christ if you're not part of his body. I mean, there's just no way to become like Christ without being part of his body. You can't simply do it by listening to preachers on radio. I know that there are preachers on radio better than me, better than Pastor Matt, and people that you can listen to on podcasts and, and videos. I know there are better singers than, than the, any singers that we can put out that you can listen to on CD or on the radio, but you will not become like Christ unless you're part of the actual body of Christ where you're singing, praying, hearing from God with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we do it? If it's a discipline, it means we need to, we need to work at it. Okay, so couple things that means be consistent in coming to worship. One of the biggest issues in terms of the, the drop in attendance in America is that people used to go to church every week, and now if you make it every other week, you're kind of considered a real active member uh, in the church. And so that's, that's become a real issue. So be consistent. Uh, stay in the room the whole time. Like don't, you know, I mean, now this is an issue at my, at my church, okay? So I don't, I don't know if it's an issue here. Um, don't show up 15 minutes late. Don't leave during the last song so you can beat the traffic and get to lunch. Um, take your kids to the bathroom before you start the service. Like, I, I just, in my church, people just, they, they just, again, I know there's emergencies. I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but I'm just saying, if you, if you want to you really, you're going to benefit from it what you put into it. If you see it as just, oh, it's just, I got to be here because that's what you're supposed to do, then you're not going to get anything out of it. But, I mean, my, I, I got a whooping in the afternoon if I tried to get up and go to the bathroom during church, okay? Times have changed, you know, a little bit, but uh, it's just amazing to me how all of a sudden everybody's bladder gets full the moment that the pastor starts preaching. It's just, a, it's just an amazing thing to me, okay? So show up on time, show up consistently, stay in the room, pay attention, okay? Open your Bible, follow along with the pastor as he's preaching, Look at the words on the screen. Concentrate on them. Sing uh, so that your wife and your children can see you singing, okay? Like actively participate in, in worship. This is the way I kind of explain it. So, um, you know, if you, if you hope, hope you guys will understand this illustration. And if you, if you don't, then, then uh, maybe you go see Pastor Matt for some, some marriage counseling. Because um, like if you, if you put a lot of effort into planning like a really nice date for you and your wife, right? So you're, 
and you're like, man, I want to do something that she loves, even if it's not something that I love. Okay, so I'm going to take her to see some like chick flick movie or I got tickets to the opera or some musical or something that I'd rather go to the Titans game. But but I got this because I, I want to do something nice for my wife. If you go, you make all those plans, you go on that date and all you do is make fun of it the entire time. Guess how many points you get when you get home? Zero, right? You get no points for, the, for all of your effort that you put in. And so if you're just there and you're, you're like rolling your eyes, falling asleep, making jokes about it, you get, you get no points with your wife. Now, I'm not saying that you get points for worship. What I'm saying is you get out of it what you put into it, okay? So, so it's a discipline. Work at it. Even if you're in a dry season where for whatever reason you don't feel like um, it's really, you know, touching you or you're, it's not really something that's significant to you, Keep at it, stay the course, and God will use that to revive your soul, okay? So five answers to this how question. How do we worship? Number one, we should fast. We should fast. Now, um, this is a great topic to, to do after we just took down a couple pounds of meat. Um, but we should fast. This is, we see this happening in this text. as a part, And not just fast individually, although you should, but in their times to fast corporately. That's what they're doing here as a, as a nation. Um, do you realize that fasting is mentioned more in the Bible than baptism? Okay? So it's a pretty important topic and one that we, again, often neglect. It's difficult for Christians, and I almost just burped just then, it's difficult for Christians in a gluttonous culture to, to understand this, but it's an expectation from our Lord. He says, when you fast, not if you fast, he says, when you fast, and he says it's something that he rewards. So we need to practice it. Now, what exactly is it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? Again, there can be both individual fasts that you do personally or corporate fasts like we see in this text. But a fast, uh, uh, Don Whitney, who that book that I mentioned earlier, calls it a voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Okay, that's a pretty easy definition. A, vol- a voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. And the only fast mentioned in the Bible is a food fast, okay? Now, you can take a broader view of fasting that sees it as abstinence from, from anything. That, that, um, so, for, for instance, you can, you can do kind of a partial fast, which is I'm going to fast one meal, okay? We, uh, you know, you can, you can do that. Or uh, kind of the, the Lent kind of idea, I'm going to fast from TV for a certain period of time. Or I'm going to fast from, you know, Facebook or whatever it is, there, um, the, you know, the computer, whatever, whatever it is. You can have a, a broader fast where you say, here's something that I spend a lot of time doing or that I almost see as myself as dependent upon, that I'm going to voluntarily give up for a season in order to focus on the Lord. Okay, so you can, you can do that. Now, there's, there's several types of fasts that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, the normal fast is to abstain from all food but to drink water. Okay, abstain from all food but to drink water. There is a partial fast, which is a, a limiting of your diet where you eat uh, only some food. For example, you see this in, in Daniel, uh, where Daniel, is, he's, he refuses the meat at the king's table and, and is only eating vegetables, okay? Now, he only, now, people, I think, misunderstand. He only does that for a season. He starts to eat the meat and starts to drink the wine, okay, after he initially refuses it, okay? So there's a season there where he's limiting his diet with this partial fast in order to focus on the Lord as an absolute fast, which is an avoidance of all food and liquid, Okay, that's not a fast that can be sustained uh, very long. And then there's the supernatural fast. We see Moses and Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights. I would encourage you not to do the supernatural one unless God audibly tells you to do it. Okay, 
because um, that and and really even the absolute fast where you're avoiding all food and liquid, I'm, I would probably talk to your doctor uh, or something about that. But uh, those are the types of fasts that we do that we see in the Bible, and they're done for a spiritual purpose. You don't do it to lose weight. Okay, that's not you know that's not the point of the fast. Um, now there are purposes that are given in the Bible. Let me give you a handful of these. I don't know that I have those on the screen, but. Um, there are, there are purposes for the fast. Let me give you about five reasons why you do it. Number one, to strengthen your prayer life, okay? Some kind of a special urgency. Again, not as a form of manipulation, but just a special urgency. My youth pastor growing up, uh, he was out of town in, in Jacksonville, and his wife was pregnant and had some complications, went to the doctor. The doctors told her, basically, you're going you're gonna to miscarry and, and lose the baby. She called her husband, and so he fasted that whole night when he couldn't get, couldn't get a plane uh, out. And so he fasted that whole, you know, the, the rest of the day that night until the next morning praying uh, before he came home. And, and the Lord uh, protected their child. So so some kind of, a, but any anything that you're wanting to strengthen your prayer life, you, you can fast for that. Second reason to fast is to discern God's will. There's some major decision that you have or you're not sure the path that you need to take and you want to discern God's will, then 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 fast. This is what I did when I was a freshman at the University of Kentucky and, and had thought I wanted to go into politics, which, thank God, he rescued me from that, um, but I, I fasted for a week and just said, Lord, you know, what, what do you want from my life? And, and uh, it was during that week that he revealed to me that I believe that he wanted me to be in ministry. This is what Paul and Barnabas do when they're appointing elders at all the churches that they started. They fast and they pray, uh, and they ask God to, to, to show them who they should appoint as elders uh, in those churches. Third, to seek deliverance. So protection or healing of some kind. We have a, uh, there's a, gr- a great man in, in my church. His name is, his name is Jeff Locke, and he was uh, an alcoholic. God saved him radically two years ago, I mean, and completely restored his marriage. And in October of this year, he started having some back pain, went to the doctor, and they, they, they found lesions all over his body. He's got a couple months uh, left to live. And his, his community group uh, has been fasting and praying for his healing, which um, God can still do. Uh, but that, that's something that you, uh, that's another reason to fast is uh, for God to, to heal somebody or to, to deliver somebody uh, in some way. Maybe somebody who's, who's in some kind of sin that they just feel like they can't get free of. And it'd be good to fast and to pray, to ask God to free you from that. Four is to repent of sin and return to God, which is what the Ninevites do, right? When Jonah comes in and preaches, they they tear their clothes, they put ash on their heads, and they, they fast. Everybody from the king to the servant uh, fast uh, as repentance and return to God. And then to ask for God to do his work in the world. Um, again, this is how the church at Antioch called out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries as, as, as they were fasting, uh, that the Spirit revealed that uh, to them. So to ask God to work in the world. So first thing we should do is we should fast, and there's some very good reasons to do that. Second thing, how do we worship? We should pray. We should pray. So we talked about this this morning in terms of private worship, so I want to talk mainly at the level of corporate worship. As they get, they're gathering together to seek help from the Lord here, it is a good thing for God's people to gather, to kneel, get on their faces before God, and to pray in the worship gathering. Again, we, we mentioned this this morning in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, they're all plural pronouns. They're not singular. It's, it's, this is a group, a group activity, okay? 
it, doing that, praying in public makes us focus on the world, makes us focus on others, not just focus on ourselves, okay? Also, and again, there's, there's mystery in this, and Piper, Piper brings this up, but the book of Revelation describes these bowls in heaven that God uses to collect the prayers of the saints, okay? And that in some way, again, some mysterious way, that he collects these prayers in that bowl until they're full. And then once that bowl is full, God pours out whatever that is that he was going to accomplish on the earth. Okay, again, how does all that work? I don't know. How many millions or billions of prayers have to happen for one of those bowls to get filled up? I don't know, okay? All I know is what the Bible says, okay? And so having dozens or hundreds or thousands of people gather together to pray for the same thing with one heart at the same time uh, is a way to, to fill up uh, those bowls. Uh, and so what that means for you, again, as you're thinking about, about spiritual discipline of this and corporate worship, you need to actively be involved in praying. Whoever's on the stage or whatever who's praying in the corporate worship gathering, you need to be actively involved in that, okay? Actively listening to what's happening and actively joining your prayers with the person who is praying, okay? So in your mind, you're thinking as, um, as Matt or whoever's up here is, is praying for Hartsville, your, your heart's praying for Hartsville. And you're, you're asking the Lord for the exact same things. And so it is quite possible to hear the prayer that is being prayed and to not be praying. That is very possible, okay? And so you aren't worshiping if you're not actively involved in listening to the prayer and joining your heart with the person who is praying. Number three, how do we worship? We should listen to God's word. We should listen to God's word. Yes, so again, you can meet with God anytime. You can, you can hear God's word anytime, but there is something special about gathering together with fellow believers to hear the word of God preached. There's something special about that. Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 is a very important passage that describes our corporate worship gatherings as the, the people of God being assembled at Mount Zion so that when you're gathering together for worship, you are quite literally at Mount Zion in the presence of God. Unseen around you are a multitude of angels and the redeemed of all the ages who've gone on to heaven before you. They are, you are there in that assembly worshiping God at Zion, okay, and God thunders from heaven as we do that. And he, he speaks, and the, and, and the author of Hebrews says, see that you do not reject the voice of him who is speaking, okay? And so that's what we're doing as we, as we gather together from worship. We're gathering together to hear from God in heaven. And that's why the word must be central to the worship gathering. The word must be central to, more central than singing, as important as singing is. More central than praying, as important as praying is. In my church, I would imagine the same thing is true here. We spend more time on the Word than anything else, okay? Reading it, and it's, and it's central. We read it at the beginning. We preach it in the middle. We read it in the benediction at the end. It's, it's, we want the Word to be central to everything that we do, okay? Now, the problem is, same thing with prayer and with singing, as we'll talk about, it is possible to be hearing a sermon and not be worshiping. It is possible to be hearing the words, but to not be worshiping the Lord. If you're distracted, if you're playing on your phone, if you are thinking about what you're going to eat, uh, and you're not, you're not 
actively involved in listening. You're not actively jotting down, okay, he said something I didn't understand. I need to study that or I need to ask about that. You're not writing down thoughts that come to your mind about how this applies to your life. Again, whether you're writing it down, putting it in your phone, just thinking about it. You, you need to be meditating on, con contemplating, thinking about, okay, how does the word impact my life, my family, my, my job? I mean, the whole, the whole deal. You're listening, you're engaging with the word. So as Pastor Matt's preaching in, you know, he said, y'all been in James and you hear that, that religion that's pure and, and undefiled is taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. You need to be actively thinking, okay, how, how am I caring for orphans? How am I caring for widows? Am I, if this is what God loves and this is what images God because he's the one, he's the, one the defender of the orphan and the widows, then how am I actively engaging in this? Okay, so you need to be thinking about, you need to be involved in the sermon and, and listening to what's going on. So that means bring your Bible or your phone that has, the, that has it on the app, okay? Um, bring a notepad or, or your tablet, whatever you take notes on, bring a pen, pay attention, uh, bring coloring sheets for your kids or what, you know, whatever you have to, to, to help keep your kids from being a distraction. I don't know how, again, how y'all do all that here. Um, it's okay. I, I mean, again, I just... Uh, it's okay to let kids be drawing, okay, while, they're, while the sermon's going on. You know, be like, hey, sit still, shut up, look at the pastor while he's, he's doing it. I, I can assure you that as they're drawing, they're, they're getting a lot more information than you may think that they're getting, okay? Uh, and so it's okay to, to find ways to minimize them as a distraction, all right? Um, but you need to do whatever it is you need to do to be able to concentrate in that moment on what's going on. You need, you need to do it, Okay? Now, let me transition from the word to singing. So the fourth thing is we should sing, okay? But let me still talk about the word in response to this. Worship is responding to revelation, okay? That's what worship is. It's responding to God as God has revealed himself to us. So worshiping in truth is vital. We worship God as he is revealed in the Bible, not as we wish him to be, okay? We worship him as the merciful one, but also the judge. As the holy one, but as also the gracious one. Okay? It's not about our likings. Okay? And you can't love him rightly and worship him rightly if you don't know him rightly. Okay? So that's why the word has to be central before uh, you get to singing. Okay? So we should, we should sing. It's all over the Bible. Singing's all over the Bible. Okay? Um, I think Matt mentioned this last night when he talked about it. We got a book that's 150 songs. And then you've got, you add to that uh, songs in Deuteronomy and, and Exodus and Judges. And I mean, it's everywhere. Second Chronicles 20. Okay. And most importantly of all, in eternity, <laughs> there's going to be singing, praising of the Lord through song. Okay. So you should sing and you should sing even if you're a man who doesn't like singing in front of people, and even if you're tone deaf, okay, you should sing. You say, well, I'm just, I just don't like singing. Listen, I, I, I bet we would be amazed if we took a survey in the state of Tennessee of every man who says, I just don't sing in public, who has sang at the top of their lungs in a way that is incredibly ugly when, you, when Tennessee scores a touchdown, Right? You sing, you're, you're happy to sing Rocky Top at the top of your lungs. Don't care who's looking because you're so excited. Guess what? That's worship. 
That is what it is. No, yeah. Tennessee won this year, bro. They did, yeah. It was about, it was about time, though. No, 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 okay. One of the one of the elder one of the elders at, at my church was a big Florida fan, and and um, so we got rid of him. Uh, but um, he taught my son before he left. He taught my son to do the the Gator Chomp, and and so I'm I'm still angry at him about that. But um, but no, like you do sing. I mean, men do sing in public. Okay, so sing. Your children need to see you singing. Your wife needs to see you singing. Okay, you you need to be actively engaged in this. And again. Same thing I said, everything else. You may be singing or you may be hearing what is being sung, but if you're not thinking about God and thinking about the words that you're singing, you're not worshiping, okay? You need to be reflecting on the truths that you are confessing together. So sing enthusiastically. Think about the lyrics. Don't get distracted. Feel free to raise your hands, close your eyes, claps, clap, whatever it is, uh, but actively engage in singing, okay? So we see all of this in this text, and this is what the means by which God defeats their enemies and saves them. Now, let me give you a fifth aspect of worship that is not mentioned in this text and, and is a new, new covenant, New Testament reality. We should participate in the sacraments, okay? We should participate in the sacraments. There are two of them. Uh, in Baptist life, we, we believe there are two of them, Lord's Supper and baptism, okay? Are, do y'all do it every week? Okay, good. Um, so that's not in our text, but it's a means of grace for us as New Testament Christians. And again, what the, what the sacraments are doing, the sacraments are doing twofold, okay? Uh, exactly what we see happening here. They're, they're reminding us of past salvation. So they're, they're reminders of past salvation, and they are encouragements about future salvation, what's going to happen in the future, okay? Uh, and so we need to be reminded of the gospel weekly. That's how we grow in holiness, how we grow in maturity, and so we need to be reminded by singing gospel-centered songs, hearing gospel-centered sermons, and participating in gospel-centered sacraments. Um, I, again, this is, a, this is an encouragement to believers. It's also an incredible invitation to unbelievers. Okay? I can't tell you how many um, children or even young adults that have been saved in our church have been saved simply by the fencing of the table at the Lord's Supper. As they came to recognize, as we said, who could come and participate in the table? And they said, it was as you were explaining that, that I recognized I, I'm not a believer in Christ and I'm not part of the family of God. And so I, I, need, I need to believe the gospel. Um, and so it's, this is an incredible thing uh, in worship in terms of making us grateful for our salvation, growing us in holiness, and also extending an invitation uh, to the unbelievers who are listening in to what is happening. And this is what exactly what uh, Moses said. If you, if you remember when he was giving them the Old Testament version of the sacrament and the Passover, what does he say? He says, there's, there's going to come a time in the future when you're eating this meal and your children are going to say to you, why do we take this meal? And you're going to say, because we were slaves in Egypt and God rescued us. And that's the exact same thing I try to prepare all of my people, the, the parents in my congregation to do is, there's going to come a time when your children ask you, why can't I have the bread? And why can't I have the cup? And instead of you getting into a, you know, well, just, you just can't right now. This is a time for you to say, well, my hope is, sweetheart, that at some point here in the future, you'll repent of your sins, you'll believe in Jesus, you'll be saved, and then you will get to take the meal. But until then, you're not part of the family of God. And so it's a chance for you 
to share the gospel uh, with your children. All right, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're going to pray. And I know Matt and them are going to come up and sing. What I want to do is, um, as we kind of conclude our, our corporate time together, um, is kind of a time of response. And here, here's what I want to challenge you to do. There may, may be multiple ways that you feel like you need to respond or that the Lord is, ha, has been leading you to respond. And so I want to give you just a couple um, options to think through. First of all, uh, we're going to sing. And so this is a chance to respond by singing, by actively say, it may be the case that you're one of those um, those guys who is uncomfortable to sing in public and not something that you usually engage in. And, and so this is an opportunity for you to respond by singing, singing out loud and, and actively participating in worship. For others of you, you may be convicted about your prayer life. And this is a time for you um, at your seat or uh, get on your knees or ho- however you want to do it, uh, for you to pray to the Lord and say and confess the lack of prayer and the lack of communing with God in prayer and ask Him to strengthen your prayer life, and that would be a, a good way to respond as well. Maybe this is a time for you just in your heart to commit to, I'm not reading my Bible the way I should, and so I'm going to commit to some plan of reading the Bible, not just ethereal, I, I'm going to read the Bible better, but some kind of specific commitment you're willing to make in this moment. I'm going to read through the, the Gospel of Matthew the next month, or I'm going to read through Genesis, or whatever, whatever it is. Or I'm going to find some uh, Bible reading plan on, on the app on my phone, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and read the Bible daily. Whatever it is, make that commitment. So whatever it is that the Lord is laying on your heart, however you need to respond, uh, this, is a, this is a time for you to respond uh, and grow in your relationship with the Lord. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be with us all, that by the power of your Spirit, you would convict us of the things that we need to be convicted of. Maybe it's that we don't hear from you in your word enough. Maybe it's that we don't pray to you enough. Maybe it's that we're not actively engaged in worship. Maybe it's that we're, we're here and we're listening and we're taking in everything that's happening, but we're not being active participants in it. We're not meditating on the truths that are being sung or preached, or prayed. So, Father, I pray you'd convict us. I pray that you would cause us to ask for forgiveness. And then I pray that you would empower us to to actively engage in these things so that we can become more like Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, oh, we live for you, and holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who 
Sing it again, worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. in you alone and I will 
There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those uh, one more time and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those God, we come, we thank you for this this week, this weekend we've had. We know you're doing more, and you're going to do more in our small groups, and as we pray for one another, so we just, we give you our hearts, Lord, and we say, take more, change us more, make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>